Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. To find information about the bridge, including service times and directions, check out thebridgeportage.org. We hope the following message inspires you to be one, make one. My name is Nick Sims. I am the worship and tech director here at The Bridge. I'm usually playing the guitar over here and singing. And it's just a wonderful blessing uh, at this church that we have so many wonderful uh, musical and worship leaders that they can can do that as awesome as they just did. And I'm also free to uh, bring the message this morning without having to do both. Um, again, my name is Nick. I'm the worship and tech director. We're so glad that you're here. Um, a few weeks ago, Ryan taught us about the story of Daniel, and we looked at Daniel in the lion's den, and Daniel uh, in multiple times of his life where he was at a crossroads where he could either remain faithful to what God said and what God called him to, or he could go along with what the crowd wanted to do, sometimes under a threat of death. We saw also from uh, Janetta the story of Ruth, as we can see God's character brought out through the mundane, everyday occurrences in our lives. And I'm going to talk about a story that is very near and dear to my heart. I've always loved the story of Joseph. Um, if, you, if you're new to the Bible, there are two notable Josephs in the Bible. One's in the New Testament, and that's Jesus' earthly dad. This is not him. So if you're waiting for the part in the story when they go to Bethlehem and he has a baby that was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that's a different guy. So this is way, way, way back. First book of the Bible, Genesis. And pretty much the last third of the book of Genesis is concerned with this one guy, Joseph. And I've always loved the story because I thought it was amazing that someone could remain as faithful to God as they did, despite all of things in their life going kind of sideways on them. But uh, about three years ago, almost to the day, the story of Joseph took on a brand new meaning to me and a brand new importance. Uh, Just so we're all kind of on the same page, who here has ever been hurt by someone? Show of hands. Yeah. Who's ever had something in their life not go the way they planned it? Whoever had like a 10-year plan of their life that didn't go exactly like they planned it? Probably most of us. Who's ever been betrayed by somebody that they trust? Yeah. I think a lot of us are on the same page, and I think Joseph calls a lot of those things to our mind and shows us exactly what a God-focused perspective looks like in the midst of all these things. Joseph grew up his father's favorite child. His dad didn't try to hide it. That's not a parenting strategy that I recommend. I've got five kids. I can tell you they don't respond well to even thinking that there is a favorite child. But when you buy a special coat that's basically a name tag that says, hey, that's Joseph. He's my favorite kid. Look at his jacket. Which one's your favorite kid? Oh, he's the one in the rainbow jacket over there. You can pick him out of a crowd. That's not a great way to handle rivalry between your brothers and sisters. But... Jacob did it anyway. And in the beginning of the story in Genesis 37, we see, so Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report to them, to their father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. And when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all his others, they hated him. And could not speak peacefully to him. Another translation may say, did not have a nice word to say to him. And if that wasn't enough, they resented and hated Joseph. And now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And in his dream, just to kind of paraphrase it, Joseph saw himself. And he had two dreams back to back. 
in each of his dreams, he was standing up and his entire family, represented by different imagery, was bowing down to him. Not only did he have these dreams, but he thought it would be really smart to go and share those with the people that hated him the most. So, you know, around the breakfast table, he's like, hey, guys, I had a dream last night. Uh, I think I'm going to be like the boss or the king or something, and all you guys are going to bow down to me. So isn't that neat? And then they hated him all the more. And then he had another dream. And again, just completely unable to read the room, he shares it again with them. And so at the point they get to where they go from not being able to say a nice thing to him to wanting to actually murder him on sight. And so the next time they're out in the fields, Jacob, or Israel as he's renamed in the story, sends his son Joseph out, who's kind of a tattletale, if we're honest, to go see what his sons are up to, make sure they're working, all that kind of stuff. So they see this brother coming a long way off, and they say, let's kill him. Let's be done with this guy. We're a long way from home. Nobody's going to know. Let's just kill him, dump his body in a well. Fortunately, and through God's working, uh, a couple of the brothers saw a little bit more sense and decided to just dump him in a well and then sell him into slavery. Joseph's plan for his life was probably to stay near his family in Canaan, in the promised land, have kids of his own, have families of his own, and his, fa- and his plan at the very beginning of his story goes immediately off the rails. And I said uh, a minute ago that this story took on a new meaning to me because about three years ago, almost to the day, actually, we were looking, Facebook was kind enough to remind me, um, I was working in another church a good ways away from here, and um, we were on vacation, which was kind of a rare occurrence for us, so it was well needed. Uh, Went on vacation, we were having a great time, came back, and then found out just like that there was no longer a job for me at that church. So on the same day, coming back from vacation, um, I realized that I didn't have a position at that church anymore. My family no longer had a place to worship. Our entire community dissolved in an instant. Um, only the very closest people, I can probably count on one hand, the amount of people that reached out to us in friendship and not just wanting to know some gossip. Um, my plans for how the next few years evaporated. And then my story kind of turned into almost like a, I always joke that it kind of turned into a country song because the day that I got let go was actually the day that I was supposed to take my, do- my young dog to go get shots. So that my dog got sick with Parvo because they didn't get their last one and almost died. Um, you know, the house was in danger, had to find work wherever we could. We had a foster child at the time that we needed to stay in town to maintain that for, and it was just a mess. But God in his goodness reminded me almost immediately after it happened, said, Nick, you have a close friend that's been through something very similar to this. So before I even broke the news to my wife, I called my friend Chris, who was kind of a ministry mentor of mine and a close friend for many years. And Chris had been through a very contentious removal from a church that was not his fault. Nothing that he did, it was was awful. Um, And I called Chris and I said, Chris, what do I do? I have no idea what to do. I thought I was going to be here for a long time. Like I'm working. I never expected anything like this to happen. We were just blindsided. And he said, Nick, I spent probably a year to two years going to every single person that would listen and to a lot of people that didn't and just spewed all kinds of hatred and poured my heart out on anybody that would listen saying, can you believe what these people did to me? Can you believe that a church that claims... And he said, Nick, if I could go back, I would take every word of that back. 
He's like, if I could go back to day one, I would not breathe a word of bitterness to a single person. Cause he said, here's what it did. I didn't have a job that didn't put a dollar in my bank account to help feed my kids, feed my family. And that did not bring me one step closer to healing and moving on with God's plan for my life. And so right then I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but that's exactly what I'm going to do. And the story of Joseph jumped off the page to me. And Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 also jumped out. And I really realized that I needed to have a God-focused perspective on my life. And what that means is, for us in the day-to-day, we are not in control of a lot of things that happen to us. But we are absolutely in control of our attitudes and our actions and our faithfulness to God. I couldn't control what was, what was thrust upon me. I couldn't control what was done to me or the circumstances in my life that changed. But in every moment of my life and every conversation that I had and every chance that I had to be who God called me to be, I could walk in step with what he had for me. And that's exactly what Joseph does. So he goes to, to being a slave in Egypt. He's working in the house of an influential Egyptian named Potiphar. And the story says that Joseph was very handsome And anytime you get a physical description of someone in the Bible, it is story-related, to be sure. And Potiphar's wife noticed that Joseph was a very handsome man, and so she came to him and propositioned him. It says every single day she asked. And Joseph, I love what he says to her. He says, I've been put in charge of this entire household. I've been trusted with everything except for one thing. How in the world could I do such an evil thing and take what's not mine? We see a flip side of the Garden of Eden where instead of focusing on Adam and Eve when they were tempted by the serpent, he said, look at that one thing that God's withheld from you. He's holding out on you. Think about that one thing and how good that must be. Joseph flips it around. He's like, I've been blessed with so much. I'm in charge of so much. How could I do this evil thing? It's because he had a God-focused perspective. And just as an aside, what Joseph does next is Potiphar's wife empties the house. There's nobody there but her and him. And she traps him, physically traps him, corners him. And Joseph leaves his coat behind, like slips out. I've had, if you, I don't know if you've had a kid do that, but you have like the kid that you're trying to hang on to and you can you know, grab their coat to try to slow him down. And then all of a sudden you're just holding a coat and there's no kid there. Joseph slips out of his coat like Houdini and takes off running. And I think that's a message for somebody here this morning that when we're confronted with sin, when sin invites us to just try it, just play with it, just be near it, just cozy up to it, just dip your toe in the water, just try it for a little bit, it wouldn't hurt. Sin is not harmless, and it does not want a little part of you. It doesn't want you to have a little bit of fun. It wants you dead. It wants your life destroyed. It wants the life of everybody around you destroyed. And so like Joseph, we need to flee from sin, sometimes in dramatic ways, sometimes in ways that don't make sense. And again, here in Joseph, in his story, we see that his plan kind of goes sideways from what we would think. And rather than being rewarded for being upstanding, Potiphar's wife accuses him of assaulting her. And she has his coat as proof, and he's thrown in prison. Again, the plan going sideways. But again and again in this story, if you read through it, and I I really encourage you to, you see, God was with Joseph. 
God was with Joseph. And Joseph never sits down. He never says, woe is me. He never stops moving. He never stops being faithful to God. He continues and he's like, well, I'm in prison now. I can be the best follower of God that I can be in prison. And his situation, his overall situation that we would be looking toward changing doesn't really change, but he becomes the number one helper, servant, leader in the prison. And eventually through a really cool story, he's actually promoted and promoted and promoted until he interprets two dreams of Pharaoh. And he eventually is raised up to be the number two leader in all of Egypt. And now Joseph went from being favored son to slave into the leader of all Egypt. And it just so happens that his brothers, the very ones that betrayed him, were two years into a famine that Joseph saw coming because of God's dreams that he gave him. And they're now coming to Joseph, looking for food, and they're completely at his mercy. And it's amazing, we see in chapter 45, Joseph finally confronts his brothers. And if it was you or I, I think we would be tempted to just, finally, God's put me in a position where I can get payback, I can get revenge, I can finally get what was owed to me. But he doesn't. Joseph, in his God-focused perspective, forgives his brothers. And in chapter 45, we read, Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me. And they didn't recognize that it was even him. And he says, I am your brother Joseph, who you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. But God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph realizes that there was a purpose to all of the pain that he had felt. There was a purpose to him being removed from the place where he thought he was supposed to be and placed in the place that God wanted him to be. And then even further on, his brothers realized that there is a lot. They, they start to realize there's a lot for Joseph to forgive here. And eventually their father dies and they start to wonder, oh no, our father's dead Without him to hold Joseph accountable, I think Joseph might become angry again and want to repay our evil. And in chapter 50, after Jacob has died, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, and here they go manipulating again. Your father gave a command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Joseph's focus on God even led him to say, I'm not even the one to repay you for the evil that you did. He realized his place and he realized God's place. He said, am I, am, I, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So not only did Joseph show mercy to the people that had turned against him, his very own brothers 
He didn't not only show them mercy by not punishing them the way they should have been punished, but he showed them grace saying, not only am I not going to punish you, I'm going to take care of you. I'm not only going to take care of you, I'm going to take care of your families. And the part that really just blows my mind with this whole story is kind of the bumper sticker line from this whole story. It's uh, Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. And that word intention is very important. That means to plan or to purpose. Like a lot of times in our life when things go sideways, we start to think that, well, I think God might be able to salvage this. You know, it's kind of a mess. It's kind of some pieces, and we go to hand them to God, and we, we expect God to be like, wow, that's really messed up. I'll do the best I can with it. But the truth is God, in this story, intended for Joseph to be exactly where he was. And he intended also, and this is an amazing part, he intended for Joseph to be the man that he ended up being. The 17-year-old working in the field was not ready to lead all of Egypt. He was not ready to deal with the things that he had to do. But throughout this entire story, Joseph's been developing. God's been forging this man into who he needed to be. And that we see illustrated in chapter 45 when he says, You sold me here, but God sent me here before you to preserve life. And I hope in this story, when you see that, that rings some very big bells in your mind concerning Jesus. Because like Joseph, Jesus was betrayed by those closest to him. Like Joseph, Jesus was sold out 30 pieces of silver for the life of the only sinless person to ever live, the very Son of God. Who was sent to preserve life. That just rings so many bells for me of Jesus and his character and what he did. And so as your takeaway from this story, I hope that you get a new perspective of forgiveness and the importance of that, of seeing Jesus's fingerprints all over the story of the Old Testament, of you see God's character throughout all of this. I hope it gives you a God-shaped perspective, but I also want us to look at The idea of grace. A lot of times I think I have issues with um, trying to wonder why bad things happen to me. But I spend very little time, I don't know if anybody else does, wondering why the good things happen to me when I don't deserve it. For some reason that doesn't enter into my mind very much. And in the life of Jesus we see that he lived a sinless life, he was sent by God, and over and over he was misunderstood. Over and over he was betrayed, talked badly about by the very people that he was supposed to come to. And essentially, in his God-focused perspective, he was on the very cross dying for our sins, praying for our forgiveness to the Father, saying they don't know what they're doing. And Jesus, who was betrayed, again was sold by those that meant him harm but was sent by God to save those that believed in him. And so if you have your uh, communion elements with you, I want to draw our attention to Paul's summary of the last night of Jesus's life before he was betrayed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul draws a line here and he says, For I received from the Lord, I also delivered to you that the 
that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So, Lord, as we come to your table, as we remember your sacrifice this morning, Lord, we thank you that we thank you that the plan of God cannot be thwarted. We thank you that even though bad things happen, Lord, your plan is still good. You are still good. Lord, we thank you most of all that you would forgive the very people that fought against you. Lord, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. And we thank you for reaching beyond that wall of hostility, Lord, for tearing that down through the body of your Son and through the blood of the covenant. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Would you all take the communion elements? Um, I'll give you just a second to kind of open those up. I know I typically have a little bit of trouble with them. And the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take and drink the cup. Father God, we thank you for the blessings that we have, Lord, that, that, Lord, we were your enemies. We were fighting against you. We were not seeking you, and yet Christ died for us. We thank you for the heart of forgiveness that Christ had. We thank you for the heart of forgiveness shown in the life of Joseph, Lord, that when we focus on you and your plan and the things that we've been blessed with constantly, Lord, that we are able to forgive and move on. We are able to forgive and repair relationships. We are able to understand a small fraction of the grace that we were showed through Jesus on the cross. And Lord, I pray that you will constantly, as we, as we take communion, as we pray, as we forgive those around us, Lord, I pray that you will be shown in every way through all of these things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Before um, service today, we prayed, um, as we always do, and the Lord had a theme, and we were praying that we would be more aware of His presence, that He would deepen our understanding that He's always with us, whether we're inside, outside, with people, without people. And we prayed that every single person who knows Him would have a deepened hunger for Him. I don't know about you, but every single time, we take communion together. There really aren't words to express the gratitude for what Jesus did for us. So um, I, just, I just ask you to leave this morning with that on your mind.
um, his deep, deep love for you that with our human thoughts we can't understand, but with his spirit we can. Um, so I want to send you off with a blessing, but one last reminder, we'll be back inside next weekend with our new schedule, three services on Sunday, 815, 945, and 1115. Is that right? Yes. 815, 945, or 1115. And don't come to the 945 because that's when everybody's going to be here. So <laughs> anyway, if you would um, receive a blessing from the Lord, may he keep you. May he protect you. May he bless you. May he smile on you and be gracious to you. And may his favor rest on you. Amen. Have a wonderful rest of your day. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church in Portage, Michigan. For additional information, check out thebridgeportage.org or stop by and visit us.